Hello and welcome to this, the seventh edition of the Premonition Podcast. My name is Andrew Weaver and I confess that today is something of a podcast as loving because our guest for episode seven was Stephen Turner, himself the host of a podcast called The Lawyers of Tomorrow. Stephen, as a background, is a non-practicing solicitor and visiting lecturer in law, business and technology at the University of Law in uh, here in London. And he's also the founder of Lawyers of Tomorrow Technology, which is a law tech startup developing automated advice systems and also the aforementioned podcast. So really interesting discussion. Stephen actually uh, opened it up. I, I found out in my research that he's about to do a coding course for blockchain, which I have to say, uh, as, a, as a concept that I still haven't fully got my head around, uh, I did ask Stephen to explain, and he very carefully and diligently explained, mainly for my purposes, uh, a little bit more about what blockchain is, about its impact, and then we start to go into uh, the wider topic of legal tech collaboration, and also its impact, interestingly, on legal education and the new generation, the next generation of lawyers who might have set out on this career path with a fixed view about what a lawyer, uh, what a law firm model looks like, and that. Uh, is very much changing indeed. What will the law firm of the future look like? So we cover that and more uh, with Stephen. And uh, being a podcaster himself, Stephen has a yeah, very fluid way of of talking, of uh, explaining, and uh, I suppose also an element of the lecturer's skills means that it's, uh, it's a, a very fluid conversation and one that I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, I bring you Stephen Turner. So uh, welcome indeed to the Premon- Premonition Podcast, Stephen Turner. Thank you very much for having me. A pleasure, Stephen. Now, um, we record, as I know, Stephen here is a fellow podcaster. I mean, splendid podcasters of the world unite and all that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm not actually sure about where all your guests come from, but we uh, we interview, Premonition interview, an array of guests from all over the world. Uh, And I never cease to be amazed by the brilliance of Skype, frankly. Um, But Stephen, I think, is based here in London, uh, not far away from where I'm recording this podcast. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I've got a little uh, studio, a recording studio uh, down in Streatham. So I'm t- trying to turn Streatham Hill into the new legal tech media hub of London. Well, good luck with that challenge. Yeah, every, everyone else has got Shoreditch, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's, there's room for me in, in Streatham Hill. Well it, well, it begins with S. So there's a nice connection there. <laughs> uh, listen, so many things, as always, with, with legal tech. And, and, and Stephen, as you know from the intro, uh, is, uh, is, is um, Lawyers of Tomorrow podcast and media. Uh, outlet and various other wonderful things with that branding, but I'm going to I'm going to ask you one amazing question uh, here, Stephen, because I I understand that you're actually going off to learn blockchain coding. Now, not many of us know what blockchain is yet, uh, certainly <laughs> not what its impact is. But coding, talk talk to me about it. Well, I've got the whole uh, Lawyers of Tomorrow project has essentially got two elements to it. There's the podcasting, which is an extension of my teaching, which I do at the University of Law. So the idea is that podcasting, I can reach so many more people. So that's Lawyers of Tomorrow Media. Then there's Lawyers of Tomorrow Technology. And I've started up uh, a project where I'm going to be leveraging expert systems for automated advice systems to go on websites. But looking forward after that, I'm thinking, well, what's the next project? And I've been doing quite a lot of research into what blockchain is and trying to really go at it from an academic point of view, because what I get trained to do uh, or what I've been doing over the last 20 years is they say to me, Steve, can you teach this subject? 
in four days time. I said, what is it? You need to do a bit on taut. Oh, right. I haven't done that for 10 years. So you absolutely cram for for, for, for days and then you, you, you start to churn it out. So I treat, I treat the way that I look at blockchain and any other technology in the same way. And I just listen to as many people as I can and then try and work out, well, okay, where's this technology going? Let's try and go beyond the the stuff that I read on Artificial Lawyer. And Richard Tromans has been fantastic in, in, in bringing me up to speed on all these different blockchain projects. Then I try and do my own research and go further beyond that and try and work out, right, what's the technology under the hood? And I really try and geek out on it. So that's why I'm doing it. And I think it's it's not just from a point of view of being able to teach it, which I definitely want to be able to do at some point, get a room full of lawyers and take them from the usual position of being oh God, we know nothing about this, to okay, we get it. We get what it's about and demystifying it. And it's that moment when they walk out of the classroom, they say, thanks, mate, we really get that. We really understand it now. That's the, that's the teaching aspect. But then from the technology point of view, I think it's from the very recent research I've been doing over the last week, it's made me believe that blockchain technology, if they can get this off the ground, will be a new Web 3.0 where we won't be having... Uh, applications like Facebook and so forth running off blockchains in a decentralized manner and the implications that that has for everything in terms of uh, not one centralized or entity having having control of the data and so forth so I think uh, that's the way it's going to go and I've also got a little eye on investment as well if I can spot one of those bits of technology that I really think is the one I'm going to double down on it but then there's uh, once they invent the new blockchain generalized web there's then, well, there's, you have to have new applications to put on it. And so I'm looking for, looking around at legal pain points that there are. And then essentially, I think the idea is if you can take an existing product, stick it onto the blockchain and make it better, then I think, uh, then I think then you're onto something then. So that's, that's the overall motivation. But I imagine there's quite a few of your listeners who are thinking, come on, Steve, what the hell is blockchain? Well, you took, you took the next question right out of my mouth. I mean, I think that's the problem for everybody, isn't it? I mean, someone like yeah. you clearly is immersed in it already. But yeah. tell, tell, me, tell me in a very practical sense, how is it going to impact perhaps in, in law? I mean, a simple contract, a simple relationship that a, the standard consumer well, of legal services has. I think for taking it uh, with the basics, blockchain is essentially a database. But what makes this database different from any other database is that it's a decentralized database. And so let's keep it simple and say you've got 100 people around the world. All of them have got a copy of this database. And the idea is when a new block is added to the chain, hence blockchain, when a new block is added to the chain, on a very simple blockchain, you'd have to have all those hundred people who've got a copy of it. We all have to agree on what's happened. Well, what's the implications for uh, transactions? Well, half the time, if you take say, if you take say a simple sale of goods uh, contract, where you might have some goods leaving Bombay or Mumbai, as they call it now, moving to uh, moving to London. The, the 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 age old problem that you get with sale of goods is well, how does the seller know that the money is coming over from the buyer how does the buyer know the goods have been shipped and so forth what happens if the goods are lost halfway through halfway through transit now up until recently that's all dealt with been dealt with by banks which can make it very expensive using things like documentary documentary credit and bills of bills of exchange and so forth if you've got a blockchain what happens is when this blockchain is updated, because one of the qualities of the blockchain is it is indelible, you can't amend it. Another uh, 
uh, another quality is that um, it's a consensus database in that all hundred all 100 of these data or the, or the nodes holding the database will be updated at the same time and they all have to agree that this information that's come out is actually correct and it's going to be updated to all of them then you can trust this thing so no longer do you have to worry about do i trust the seller sending me the goods if it's quite clear okay when the blockchain goes to the port authority in mumbai and says has this has these uh, has this ship left if it's left Okay, now it's on the way, and then once it's once it's on the way, the the uh, buying uh, the, the the buyer will have money in escrow, which is now released automatically by way of a contract which is written on the blockchain. So you have this idea of smart contracts, whereby when the contract goes out and gets a piece of information from one port of authority that the uh, that the goods have left, then automatically it then releases the payment. Uh, to the seller and then what if the goods are lost at sea let's say the ship goes down well then you'll have provisions in the contract uh, whereby the smart contract will go to the uh, recipient port authority and if it's clear that the ship has got is not is never coming in it's sunk then the insurance provisions will be activated so what you have is rather than having a number of contracts sitting around in a number of different offices and maybe people are looking at version one or version two you can have elements of the contract coded onto the blockchain so not only is it absolutely clear what the contract is it's also absolutely clear what events have happened because the blockchain itself the smart contract will go out and grab in from authorities from external um, oracles as they're called it will drag in pieces of information but when certain events happen the ship's lost at sea then the insurance provisions are automatically activated well what does this mean a lot of the stuff that lawyers might have done arguing over what did the ship leave or did it not and what was the reason for its sinking all of that is now uh, written down to the blockchain and there's no real dispute over it i mean you're i think you may still get disputes over some elements of the contract i'm not saying that we're never going to get those those but that's the idea for lawyers smart contracts mm. is that is the key thing the fact that we can trust them the fact that um, everybody agrees what's in the contract and the fact that they execute they are, there are elements of itself executing so that's the big vision however we are i think we're some way off that there are a number of banks and private entities which are having what's called consortium blockchains where for various reasons they want to keep it private and they are uh, having a, a blockchain, say, within a, a small number of users. But I think the real developments are going to come when we move on to a scalable blockchain, a generalized blockchain. Uh, at the moment, people are relying on Ethereum. And my own personal opinion is I don't think that's ever going to be able to scale. At the moment, it can do maybe 20 transactions a second. And we need things that can do a million transactions a second but i think eventually perhaps this year towards the end of this year we're going to start to see new technology coming along which may well mean that we can then as developers build applications onto the blockchain which will be indistinguishable and as fast as the current applications but whereas you were dealing previously with centralized database centralized service you will then be dealing with uh, decentralized applications uh, and the implications for that are with generalized blockchains is you can trust the information uh, 
because it's not all it's not all open to being manipulated is the idea yeah i oh, know it's fascinating and thank you for breaking it down in, in in such a manner that even i can begin to understand it but I, I'm, I'm thinking about the poor lawyer who already had his or her head in their hands at the prospect of legal tech a year or two ago uh, now hearing about blockchain and, and um, someone as um, eminent in in, in futurist uh, legal thing, thinking as chrissy lightfoot I saw mentioning that new tech can already do 80% of the work, and yeah. this is this is the year where the tipping point is coming. Um, maybe this dovetails into the education conversation that we might have about lawyers that are coming through. But I mean, what what hope is there for the standard uh, law firm? What, where, where do you see that high street firm or the, the run-of-the-mill firm handling all this stuff, dealing with all this change? I th I think I I did a podcast with Chrissy last year and. She said that having spoken with a lot of uh, legal tech companies and spoken with a lot of law firms, her vision, and I think she's right about this, is that within the next 15 to 20 years, you're going to see a morphing of law firms and law tech. You're already seeing it. And uh, I was telling, talking to you via email about the, uh, the Mark Cohen article where he's saying that legal tech is changing the way I've just done a video on this actually before the podcast legal tech is changing the way that uh, Law is being practiced because we are now seeing a shrinking of the practice of law and an expanding of the delivery of the solution we're moving away from I'm charging you on the basis of how long it takes me to you will buy my service my product, whatever it is, if it solves your legal need, if it gives you value. And so we're moving into a situation where the high street practitioner, maybe there will be some area of law where they will just be able to do things very, very simply. But I think overall, we are looking at a situation where law is just catching up and we are going to be delivering tech-enabled, innovative solutions using value pricing, moving away from the idea that I can take as long as I want and charge as much as I want. I'm going to have to be producing a solution that is uh, that delivers. Because if I don't, if I don't do it, you can guarantee that there's somebody out there, a business person, getting together with a lawyer, getting together with uh, a CFO, and they're all sitting together speaking with venture capital and talking about how can we now go out and produce a particular solution for this particular pain point. Yeah. So I think if if I was the uh, one of the reasons I've set up Lawyers of Tomorrow Media and my YouTube channel is to try and educate lawyers uh, as to how they can change their business because there's so much great information out there. There's so much great information out there. Jordan Furlong, Casey, uh, D. Casey Flackerty, um, the stuff that Chrissy puts out. Artificial Lawyer is absolutely fantastic. It's a wonderful resource. There is so much information out there that I think it's important for lawyers to get themselves to get themselves aware of the way the business of law is changing because it's it, it is fundamentally moving away from this idea that we all just sit and have our legal skills and punch out. Uh, documents. It's all moving away from that to a to a augmented solution. Well, let, let me let me. Well, I had a, actually an interesting chat with Professor Julian Hadfield, who wrote um, uh, Rules for a Flat World and all about reinventing law. And and one of her issues is about um, the word quality, which lawyers yeah. lawyers look at very differently to the commercial world. You know, they think that quality is the you know quality in the way that they drafted a document, but actually sometimes that's completely away from what the customer wants, which is, you know, that end result is very different sometimes. Yeah. So quality delivery. But just coming back to the business of law, because it actually dovetails into what I was going to ask you. Um, great blog that you wrote um, over a few months, actually, relating to uh, Lawyers of Tomorrow, and particularly 
the education piece and, and students yeah. coming through the system. One that I wanted to pick up on was um, you mentioned that from your days of being, I, I read uh, when you were being trained uh, in law, there were, there were lecturers who sat and looked at a book and never brought their head up, uh, even if someone was falling asleep, which I thought was quite a nice. Law, law of evidence. I can't remember the chap's <laughs> name, but I can remember my mate sitting next to me falling asleep. We'd been out the night before and he was asleep in there and his yeah. head was back. Unfortunately, this is just a, this is just an audio pod, but on the video, my head is now going back, and it was he was looking up. <laughs> a fly could have landed, it could have come down and landed, and and the teacher just didn't 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 bat an eyelid, and it was so boring. It yeah. was so unbelievably boring. I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher at that time, but I knew that this was not the way to do it. Well, it's a great yeah. it's a great story. So we've come from, from we've come from that era to an era where in 2016, I think you said that people students are beginning to be taught the business of law. But my challenge is this: so the education has got them to that stage, but the business of law is so radically changing so quickly. Is there now yeah. another sea change required in terms of how you teach? Lawyers about the oh, I think there is, and I, and the and I think it's a major problem in this country that we're moving via the SQE solicitor's qualification exam, where we're just using moving to multiple choice, and that's going to be the the way that we 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 test them. I think because you're going to be looking in a scenario where a law firm is now providing solutions, however that may be, it could be low tech, high tech, blockchain, whatever, or just a different business model on how we do it. You need young lawyers to be to understand. I mean, they're very good with technology, but you need to them to understand that we've got to look at law as a business. We're no longer just giving you some straight business skills. You have to understand project management because that'll get you to deliver a solution on time and it'll be efficient and so forth. You need to understand how technology can improve, can, uh, can improve your service. You need to know about how to market your particular service. So what I try and teach my students at the University of Law on the Law and Business course is exactly this. It's a it's um, you know, a focus on the business of law and how it is changing. And so I bring in elements of marketing. I bring in elements of technology. And uh, I say that, you know, what's marketing all about, for example? I say it's not about me just creating a bit of buzz about my product. It's, as Drucker said, knowing my clients so well that my product or service fits them like a glove and sales is completely unnecessary. And I did this in one of my podcasts, talked about this in one of my podcasts on legal marketing. It's one of the most misunderstood areas. Students need to understand that if you're going to deliver your service uh, to a to a to a degree where you provide exactly what the customer wants, then you have to ask them. And a lot of lawyers haven't done that. They've just sat in their little ivory towers and just punched out contracts and so forth. So I think I think I think it's it's crucial that uh, young lawyers are taught these additional skills. They're what I call must skills. They're often called soft skills or marketing, but they are must skills because if you just punch, as Suskin says, if you're punching out lawyers to the old mould, we're not doing them any favours. And I think in this country with uh, the SQE, I think we've gone the wrong way. Well, how, how, interestingly, how many of them arrive uh, at, the, at the doors of the law college uh, thinking that the old the present way is going to exist forever. I mean, are they are they are they arriving at the career knowing that there's radical change going on? I think they're more and more aware because there's people like me. Certainly, you can't get through my law and business course at the University of Law without knowing 
that it is all changing. And I think they're reading more and more articles. I mean, I send out articles on LinkedIn and so forth every day trying to just generally get awareness up. And I think they are certainly, now that we've got AI is coming into the mainstream, uh, we've got articles on how AI is going to change things all the time. I think they're very well aware of this. Um, but how actually they can they can harness it and how they can be the ones to to come up with the ideas. Maybe they haven't got the confidence to see that yet, but certainly a generation that is so used to, more used to using technology. Okay, it's consumer technology. It's far different from using business technology, like editing something on Snapchat or Instagram is is a million miles away from editing something on Adobe Premiere Pro. And likewise, using legal technology in a law firm is going to be far more complex if you look at say neota or, or or kira or any of those others there's a lot more bells and whistles to it but it's the conceptual idea that once they think oh we could change it we could do this the innovation teams that they have that they should be building in law firms um and richard troman's from artificial law talked to me about this he speaks to to, to the law firms about how to get the innovation teams going. You've got to get all the people from the firm who are interested, all the people who are enthused by it, and they have to have quite flat structures. So you have someone at the top, the business person, a partner, 55 years, got so many years of business experience, and then you will have people down at the bottom uh, who understand the tech a bit more, who, know, who are enthused by it. They may be reading up on the new technology and you'll have people from IT and then they'll all sit together and brainstorm how can we how can we uh, come up with new ideas. And I think certainly from a coding point of view, if you can start to get lawyers who are coming in from a coding or a technological background, then they're going to be incredibly useful. I've start, I, I taught one chap this year who came from a coding background and... Um, well, so yeah. it's, a power, it's a powerful combination. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I, 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 I think I, what I say to my students in a nutshell is, look, you have to get more skills. You've got to get your soft skills or must skills, as I call them. You've got to know how to, to interface with a client. You will be dealing with much more difficult stuff because the robots are dealing with the grunt work. You won't be dealing with all that boring stuff anymore. You'll be sitting there and Hurrah saying... Hurrah for that. That's, that's yeah, how you'll I would be sitting there, You'll be sitting there and saying to the client... Okay, what sort of how does this solution look to you? And then you'll be going back and speaking with the business people and the tech people and say, right, how do we build this? What do we do? Is it an old school solution or is it a bit of technology plus an old school solution? What do we need? Do we can we make this ourselves or do we go somewhere else to get it? And I think that's the idea. Just thinking that the solution is not necessarily a bit of old school legal practice. It could be something else. And that's what a proper business does. So lawyers, I say to them, don't think of yourself as a law student who's going to become a lawyer. Think of yourself as a as a, someone who is studying to be a legal business professional. And that takes everything in. You've got to have all the skills. Yeah. It makes it so much more interesting. Of course it does. But I mean, maybe, so that's, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm coming from more of a commercial side, but I just think it's a tremendously dynamic time to become a lawyer and to combine it with other skills, as you say, with, with a bit yeah. of coding. My goodness me, your, your value in the market will be, will be extremely high, very sought after. Um, so listen, let, let me just ask you, moving away from, from education a little, towards collaboration, because, as yeah. you know, Premonition, uh, uh, I mean, uh, we're all over the place with collaboration. We've got a, we various trials going on. We've got APIs. We're working with insurance companies. It's all yeah. about collaboration from our perspective. Um, what do you see recent developments? I mean, I saw TR just teaming up with eBrevia. Is it eBrevia or eBrevia? eBrevia, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, there's a great example, isn't there, about a conventional tech player 
com- combined yeah. with AI. What's your thoughts on on the current movement? It was it was, it was only a matter of time for this to happen. So you've got um, I know the people who developed Contract Express originally. They then sold it to Thomson Reuters. And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Contract Express, so you can build your contracts, you can plug in various cause, clauses and it can punch punch it out as a, as a working contract. So it's very useful. It's got its limitations. But that's what, that's what a Thomson Reuters uh, very successful products. Now, you take what eBrevia have been doing, which is essentially contract review. It's based on machine learning, which for anybody who's not aware of what that is, it's essentially mathematics, looking at masses of data, machine learning, looking at masses of data, or in this case, a lot of contracts. And then you're able by training the software saying, look, these are all the data points. Can you spot the patterns? And then can you tell us how all these data points will be affected by, for example, this regulation? So machine learning, it's once you get under the hood of AI, it's basically software and it's essentially looking at lots of contracts or whatever data you want to show it. So let's say, keep it simple, a thousand contracts, extract the data from those thousand contracts. It will then tell you, well, what contract clauses have we got? How are they affected by this new regulation, for example? And so we train the software to, to, to notice what the regulation will do and then not spot all those clauses that will be affected. So now you've got software which can tell you, these are all the contract clauses that you've got in say your thousand contracts. The red lot over here are affected majorly by this uh, new regulation. The amber, the ones we've coloured amber, are not really affected that much. And then the green, not affected at all. So you don't have to worry about the green. Well, now that you know this, as the Artificial Lawyer article that I referenced um, um, in, in, in the email to you, what it does is it said this is a basic contract remediation. We can work out what clauses do we now need to alter, what what clauses, um, what new clauses do we need to uh, enter into the contract? What clauses are perfectly okay? And now we can just, once we've got all that, we can plug that straight in to the back end of Contract Express. So you're now getting these end-to-end solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, There's another company, uh, Juro. I interviewed uh, Richard Maybe from Juro on my podcast a while back. And he He's got a company that does basically that. It's essentially the same thing, but he's doing it on a smaller level. And once one of the big players come along, the big advantage you've got is you've got people who've been using low-tech stuff with them for ages. Well, now it's a Mm bolt-on. You know, I I went on IBM's website last night. I'm looking at uh, doing development using some of their software. And you get in there and you've got everything. You've got stuff on blockchain, you've got stuff on expert systems, you've got whatever you want, and so you can bolt it together. And it's compelling. Another area that's that's done this is HubSpot. HubSpot has completely revolutionized the whole content marketing uh, idea. You know, five years ago, we didn't have it all plugged in together, but now you've got your sales funnel, your content, and all of that. So the attraction for a lawyer of just having a contract with Thomson Reuters using their stuff. And now they can dip their toe in a little bit of AI and it's easy to use because they trust Thomson Reuters. Yeah. Whereas going off and saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll team up with this new player here. There's the whole, do I trust him? Do I know how it works? Is it going to, yeah. maybe, maybe with Thomson Reuters, I don't know what the deal is going to be, but um, maybe they'll be, they'll be dropping down the prices very low to start with just to, Try a bit of this, see how it works for you. But I think 
it's definitely going to have an impact, I think. Well, the moment these things become seamless and you've got the, the inbuilt exactly. trust, you know, yeah. the, the, the adoption accelerates. Um, listen, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much for your insight on all of this. Uh, I have to say, we're, we're obviously in the Richard Troman's fan club here. He was a he was a guest here, I think, at, at Premonition Podcast 3, and uh, the Artificial yeah. Lawyer blog is, is, is inspiring in terms of, of the insight that it provides. So hats off to Richard, but also hats off to you, Lawyers of Tomorrow, Stephen. Um, you're on YouTube, I think very... Uh, uh, Richard um, presents a, a, a video version of the podcast. We, of course, we hide away with our little audio version here. So <laughs> actually see us. But you're all over YouTube and, and, and Lawyers of Tomorrow. How many episodes are you up to now, Steve? Up to, I've got 13 that have been published. I've got a few more in the bag. Okay. We like, in the podcasting world, we like to keep a couple in the bag. <laughs> you never want to be sitting there looking for a guest. Yeah, you're not around, <laughs> so, do you? So, so, but um, I had a, I had a period of time when I was off the podcast. Essentially, we got burgled here at Lawyers of Tomorrow Towers, and they nicked all our camera equipment, and that really did put me put me off my pod game. But I'm back now, and I'm getting all the all the audio podcasts. I'm now sticking back up onto YouTube. So uh, most of them, the podcasts on there are still audio. But uh, I'd say we're getting up to about thirty you percent know, or so. And now a, a, a video one. So I like to do them like this where you can see the other person. Yeah, well, I can see you. Sadly, our listeners can't see either of us. Yeah. But, uh, but let me point out that um, Lawyers of Tomorrow, uh, episode 13, includes my boss, uh, Toby Unwin, uh, a magnificent, I'm told, a magnificent recording. It's uh, a great pod. What I like, what I like about Toby <laughs> is he's not short of, a, of, a, of an opinion and he's very clear at putting those across. Yeah. And what's great about the whole Premonition project is that when he was spotting the pain point, he could see because he experienced, as we said on the pod, he went through a time when he hired a lawyer on the basis of brand and didn't turn out to be right at all. Well, surely there must be another way. And that's your business model, going out and getting the data. As I've said in my uh, little, uh, my little uh, uh, Twitter posts, yeah, are you a good lawyer? Mm. Who's the best lawyer? Well, the data, the premonition data does not lie. Well, yeah, me, yeah well, absolutely, and, and, and you know, metric-based hiring is coming, so it's another, yeah, it's another it. you know, part of the changing landscape for lawyers, and also, more importantly, for the consumers of legal services. Yeah. You know, the ability to actually purchase services through you know data and, and transparency is, is is pretty transformational. But listen, if anybody wants yeah. to listen to that, that's on Lawyers of Tomorrow, episode thirteen, uh, here today. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Take care. Good luck. Right, bye bye.